Here we go. This is Coors Light's Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, G, U corner, half back, flat, on two, ready, right. Blue 42 is brought to you by Frost Brewed Coors Light. The mountains turn blue at 42 degrees. Blue 42. Now here's your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42. Blue 42. Good morning, Jake Heaps. How are you now? Doing great this morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing well, Jake. Not so bad myself. Jake, question number one. Do you get the sense that Russell Wilson is on to 2021, that whatever mess between he and the Seahawks is now in the rearview mirror? Because a couple of NFL reporters yesterday seemed to indicate that at least things are better between the two parties. Yeah, I do. I do. I think that they're at a point now where uh, you've been able to see what is going on in free agency, and and I think that it, it hasn't been necessarily total totally settled. Um, but I think that uh, you you see the landscape of what's going on. Uh, you see the the moves that have been made for the Seahawks thus far. Feel pretty good about it, and uh, you know you get to a point where you, know, you you get all the all the conversation out of the way, and you get down to the focus of the season and. And what is actually happening? So I do believe that Russell Wilson is, you know, ready to go uh, for the 2021 season and to maximize it and to make it the best uh, season that he can he can possibly have. And I know that that's his mindset every single year. Um, really working hard to train and and uh, you know can tell tell you that uh, uh, he is doing a lot to reevaluate his process to make sure that he is maximizing his fullest potential um and whether that's you know reevaluating his his diet reevaluating you know the people that he is working with and training with and and going through that entire process so at 32 years old you know russell wilson is still uh, as committed as ever to uh being the best player that he can be for for the seattle seahawks you know he's been stealing some of paul's instagram bits jake have, have yeah. you heard this yeah I, I actually have heard this. I've heard Paul doing doing the Bane voice. Correct. And Russell is posting stuff from you know uh, with the with the Bane or... voice in the background with the with the actual with the actual material. Like we avoided copyright infringement. I don't, I don't know if Bane's. I, I don't know if Bane's going to come after Russ for that. But then we saw that. So <laughs> is, is 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 that part of is that part of Russ's? Tell him he's got it. He's got to at least just give a hat tip to Paul. Say shout out my my man Paul Galan or something like that. Uh, I think we all we all I'll see what I could do there. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I will flip so hard and be on Team Russell Wilson for life after that. I'm easily bought. <laughs> that's just that's just I'm sorry for you. Uh, I think we all agree that defensive end is the next thing that needs to happen for Seattle or the next priority, whether it's Carlos Dunlap coming back or some of the other guys there. Let, let me let me ask you about different spots though. What's a bigger need right now? Wide receiver three, getting getting a number three wide receiver, somebody to compete with Freddie Swain or take those, or is it another center to compete with Ethan Posick? You know, Danny, it's a really good question because I believe that Ethan Posick has the has the ability to be a, a good center in this league. I really do. He has the athleticism. He has the size. I mean, that's why he was a second round pick. Um, yeah. But I think that as time went on. He suffered a concussion. Mike Upati wasn't very healthy. Jordan Simmons uh, wasn't extremely consistent. And so 
it's very hard to go to an offensive line and have all five guys be very, very good. Um, it's ideal. It's what you should strive for. It's what you should go for. You shouldn't settle. Um, and guess what? There are a ton of really good offensive linemen and, and centers in particular in this draft. So could Ethan Posick be a draft hedge? Meaning that, look, we're going to sign Ethan Posick and if we get into the draft and we have somebody that falls to us that we, we love, uh, that is a target uh, for us initially on our big board, then, yeah, we could go ahead and make that decision. It's not costly to us, and we've got great competition at the center position. I can easily see that happen, Danny. Um, but I would say that as of right now, you've got Ethan Postick that you know has started in games and has played successfully. Um, and with Shane Waldron's offense, with Gabe Jackson and Damian Lewis next to him, Maybe those two guys can, can continue to help Ethan Posick and, and uh, allow him to continue to grow his game. So right now, the, the, the big gaping hole, I would say, as of right now on this roster, is the receiver three position. Like, I like Freddie Swain. I like the thought of maybe John Ursua uh, having some resurgence in terms of his ability to make the 53-man roster and be a contributor. Um, but I do think that adding good talent adding veteran experience at that receiver three position or at least adding competition there I think is going to be extremely important so I'll be very curious to see what they end up doing Danny because the receiver market is very very thin at this point um, but and that's another position that you look at again in the draft and say okay this is a really deep group so when it comes to the draft I think there's three positions that have emerged now as top candidates for their first pick and that's receiver that's offensive line, uh, and particularly in the interior of their offensive line, and a corner. Speaking of th- number three wide receivers, question two. Does Antonio Brown make sense from a football perspective, Jake? I'm not asking you to talk about any of the other issues involving his potential acquisition. From a football sense, does it make sense? From a football sense, just purely a football sense, yes. Yes, it does. In terms of Antonio Brown's ability to uh, be a deep-level threat, to be a guy that, you know, it's interesting that with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you had Mike Evans, you had Chris Godwin, uh, and Antonio Brown wasn't really utilized as that deep threat that he's been in his entire career. He was more of the screen guy. He was the underneath guy. Um, and I believe that Antonio Brown could play a similar type of role, even an expanded role here in Seattle, if you're just looking at it from a pure talent standpoint. So, yeah, I think it would make a lot of sense from a talent standpoint. The, the problem is you do have to factor everything else in when it comes to Antonio Brown because uh, there is a lot that comes with Antonio Brown. So uh, that part of it will be I- extremely intriguing, but... I don't know why it would catch anybody off guard. I've seen initial reactions to, to, you know, Russell Wilson or the Seahawks potentially maybe being interested in Antonio Brown. Why would that surprise people when during the season it was between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Seattle Seahawks uh, for, for Antonio Brown's services? I don't think you look at what happened during the season with his play with Tampa Bay and say, that uh, it was unsuccessful for Tampa Bay. So I think the Seahawks, at least looking into it, doesn't surprise me whatsoever. 
Um, and I'll be interested to see how they evaluate that position. But I would say that he is the last major impact potential player that's out there at the receiver market. Everybody else could just be contributors. So I, I, that's how I view the market as of right now. Jake, do you think that Antonio Brown has changed anyone's mind after his stint in Tampa Bay? Because before that, not exactly the best look either off the field, obviously, or even really as a teammate, whether it was in Pittsburgh or his very, very, very brief stretch in Oakland, now Las Vegas. Uh, Paul, no. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Have you changed your mind on Antonio Brown? No. Okay, so I, I don't think anybody else has changed their mind on Antonio Brown either. The only thing that he has shown is that it's a uh, is that it's possible. It's possible to bring in Antonio Brown for him to not be a massive distraction off of the field. It's possible that Antonio Brown can come in and be a contributor, and that you could see him for the duration of the season. So that is what he has shown to NFL teams in terms of his public perception in terms of all that other stuff, none of that has changed really. And especially the way that Antonio Brown handles interviews, uh, especially the one that he did just before the Super Bowl. I don't think it's doing anything to change the perception of Antonio Brown, the person, but he did show through last season that he could stay on the field, stay on the practice field, stay in the facility and not cause you know, major disruption or problems. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought that up, Jake, because honestly, I, I'm someone who believes in second chances. I, I do believe. And and I, I don't think the idea of saying, hey, one strike and you're out over a number, of, I, I don't think that's the right way to sort of, sort of run society. I struggle because my initial reaction is I don't want anything to do with Antonio Brown. And some of it comes from and, and goes back to that interview before the Super Bowl where after he had kind of, at the very least, not attracted attention for negative behavior, either in the context of the team or off the field, he very clearly feels that he was the victim. He, he very clearly feels that the, the attention that's been trained on him is unfair, which is like if someone really had learned from that, that's probably not the perspective they would take. If someone had really sort of seen that – whether it was a lack of empathy or just that but it's tough because he did he did show he could he could be a functional member of a team without being a distraction or a, a, an off-field menace so i i find my i guess this is just i'm just announcing that i'm a little conflicted about it because i feel like i'm being hypocritical <laughs> about my own my own stance on second chances well, I, that's the unique part about it, though, because of Antonio Brown's background, Danny. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, uh, we're, we're talking about, you know, uh, what, what it is, is, you know, we're talking about, you know, allegations of, of sexual assault so, and, yeah. you know, a number of different things, right? So it adds a totally different layer to this. Um, and also, in fairness to Antonio Brown, he hasn't been convicted of that yet. So... Uh, we don't know the full the full story of this, so that's what makes it so extremely difficult in this process. Because none of us advocate for that any day of the week, um, and and no player is worth having somebody like that in your locker room. Um, and and so you go through this process. Antonio Brown was allowed to play, um, and if he's allowed to play, and he's allowed to help you 
um, you know, be on the field and, and, and he is a successful player that doesn't bring you off the field trouble from this point forward. It's it's a very difficult position to be in because the talent speaks volumes. But I think everybody also has a strong moral compass in terms of where they stand with a lot of the things that Antonio Brown has been accused of. And the problem is, is there's been no progress in his um, in his you know uh, court cases or anything in that particular subject. Question number three, Jake. I saw yesterday Matt Stafford talking about some of his new targets in Los Angeles Cooper Cup, as well as Robert Woods. We have seen them be very successful in the past against the Seahawks, and just got me thinking. Uh, I don't know that I can really put a true answer to this because I do think that there's a lot of level playing field here. Who has the best offense in the NFC West right now? Uh, best offense in the NFC West right now? I would say it's the Seattle Seahawks, guys. I mean, honestly, um, I, I think that what you were able to do, and I don't think it's complete yet. I, I'm not willing to say that this offense is completely a Super Bowl offense. But if you look at the way that this group was able to operate in the first eight weeks of the season, the problem that they ran in the second half of the season was, uh, I, I think, multi-layered. But at the heart of it was you weren't able to make adjustments. You weren't able to... Uh, as a quarterback, you weren't able to make adjustments. As an offensive coordinator, you weren't able to make adjustments in your play calling. Um, you weren't able to make adjustments to alleviate the pressure off your offensive line without totally killing the vibe of your offense, without totally being conservative and and, and going backwards in your approach. Um, and, and I don't mean that from a pass-run standpoint. I just mean from your aggressive standpoint and being able to, to, to get explosive plays downfield. And I think that Shane Waldron is going to change that dynamic. You you replace Mikey Potty and essentially Jordan Simmons, who really struggled in the second half of the season at that left guard position with either Damian Lewis or Gabe Jackson. I think that that tremendously helps. You've got a legitimate chess piece at tight end with Gerald Everett now, and Shane Waldron knows exactly how to use him. And if they can find a really good, effective third receiver, guys, I think that this offense really does have a chance to rival the group that uh, scored the most points in franchise history because I don't think you're going to see this offense go through this big of a rut as they did last year. I mean, that was historic for Russell Wilson in this offense. So I think they get that cleaned up. I think they become a more effective, potent offense. Um, and uh, the only offense that I think can rival that is the Rams, Paul. And, if, and that is going to be predicated off of Deshaun Jackson. If that guy can stay healthy, yeah. The way that this offense was at its best was when they had Brandon Cook. So when Brandon Cooks was in the offense, he was that true deep threat receiver that could really open everything else up, and they didn't have that guy when they traded him away. Deshaun Jackson can be that guy if he remains healthy. I think look out if, uh, if, if you're talking about playing the Rams, uh, and uh, I think that they make themselves a – a team that becomes a legitimate Super Bowl favorite with Sean McVay being an offensive-minded head coach. Jake, how do you think Deshaun Watt Jackson is going to be able to catch passes with a fork sticking out of his biceps? Hey. that dude is done. <laughs> Hooked. Uh, I, I hear you, Danny, and that's the biggest thing. Is Look, I think it's a good value signing for the Rams. Take a flyer on them in this particular situation. But uh, I agree. I mean, the the – the expectations that I have for Deshaun Jackson are are slim at best. 
He's a very good and effective player when healthy, but he has not been able to keep himself on the field whatsoever. We're not talking about Chris Carson, Knicks and Dings uh, being out for a game or two. We're talking about massive, massive injuries where he's out for six to eight weeks, uh, multiple seasons in a row. So uh, it, it definitely is not a home run signing that's guaranteed to work for them. 75% of the games he's missed over the past two seasons. He's only showing up twenty five percent of the time. Yeah, no, twenty. No. If one of those twenty five percent's against the Seahawks, I would be concerned. All right, yeah. Jake. And Danny, you know, you know the saying, Danny. Your best ability is your availability. Is your, that's Speed. right. That's right. Is your availability? It's the mantra of every single NFL locker room. Yeah, I'm going to actually modify that and say your best ability is not having a fork stuck into your biceps because you're done. <laughs> Why his biceps? Wouldn't it be his hamstring? I was going to say rump, but that sounded weird. I was yeah, going to say like a fork stuck in his rump. You wouldn't feel but that, that. Yeah, but that sounded that yeah. sounded strange. I think that's where I think of it. When a fork is stuck in somebody, though, I think of it like just right in the side of the gluteus maximus, mm. right in oh, your backside. Side would hurt. Yeah, that would hurt. <laughs> yeah, I, I do agree with you, Danny, but it's probably a smart move on your part to change it to the bicep. I, I totally understand. Yeah. Jake, it's always fun to talk to you. We appreciate you coming on this morning. We look forward to running into you here in the near future. Thanks, Thanks man. All right. Thanks, guys. Oh, always a blast. Actually, actually, hold on. What are you doing having English yeah. people say uh, profane things to us yeah. on the air? I get, a text, I get a text message from Luke Wilson yesterday saying, hey, some of my U.K. friends said that they had somebody saying, calling you like profane names on the air. I was like, yeah, he's directly saying it to us. What the heck was that? Well, you know, here in the U.S., it's not it's not profane. You know, it's it's almost like a term of endearment, almost. You know what I mean? Sure. It's uh, you know, you, you, you English sympathizer. It's, it's, not a, it's, it's not it's not a big deal. You guys are wankers. That's all. <laughs> J- Jake, we appreciate it very much. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> all right, see you guys. That is Jake. Forty-two, which is brought to you by Frost Brewed Coors Light.